Greetings to each one here this morning in the worthy name of our Lord. I've been encouraged by the service so far. And as I look at what I want to share, I hope you can be encouraged or challenged. Um, really, I'm running out of words how to say what you might learn from this because it's a topic of many ways this can go. And just to give you a clue, if I keep you in suspense a little bit, I skipped over a couple of verses in Romans. Anybody know what that was? All right, well then, uh, either I don't preach very good that you missed that, or um, you were so listening to what I preached that you didn't care about those verses. But the, the two verses in Romans that I skipped over had to do with predestination. And... I always told myself that you dare not skip over any verses in Scripture. And I wrestled with this because I, you know, I pretty quickly went through the chapter 8 in Romans and those verses there I just ignored because either lack of understanding or there's many viewpoints on it. And as I kept looking at that, I won't be able to give you... I, I would like to be able to give you what God has for us in these verses. But I don't know if that will happen or not. I, I feel very small when you try to present and explain verses like this. But I enjoyed studying them. And so today might be more of a... Uh, teacher class setting of trying to give you maybe just a s small amount of knowledge or understanding what some of these verses are. So, if you don't know what the text will be, it's Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. You can open your Bibles to that a while. I'm going to read uh, the verse prior with it, so I'll, I'll be reading at this time uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. It reads like this, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. So I'd like to just look at these verses and uh, give you... In some ways, it was in the Sunday school lesson. We can we can bring opinions, and and it's it's more of me stirring your heart, stirring your mind to know what these verses mean in your life and in your heart for you personally, and not to take what I necessarily am giving to you, 
but for that to be just a little spark or a uh, just a little poke for your interest of like what these things mean because I think each of us in our own personal relationship with God understand things between us and God and it doesn't always go across the board exactly the same for everybody so if we start here in verse I read 28 because it uses the word called in there it says to them who are the called according to his purpose a little bit of significance not a whole lot but I'm, I'm not sure if I refer back to it or not but continuing in verse 29 for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren we're going to take that word foreknow and look at what that means and it doesn't help us out a whole lot because it's pretty simple word it's a, a compound word two two things put together and it would come out uh, for a definition is to know before it still doesn't make it very easy when you think about how all that word can be used but that is where God and his knowledge knew beforehand and we'll talk about knowledge maybe some later so you can't uh, take much from this. It's a straightforward word that says foreknow, to know ahead, to know before. should say before. But you go to the next word, and that is he also did predestinate. And the word predestinate is to decide beforehand or to determine. And that is where you have... And I just don't know where all you might know in all the theology things. And myself, I don't either. But I, when I use the word Calvinism, that is the teaching of a man by the name of John Calvin. And his ideas may or may not be correct and right. He lived, I don't know what the dates, but it's, it's back, um, I want to say in the time of the Reformation, back in 1500s or so. And he wrote, I think... Uh, Something, if I remember, institutes of something like a paper, a, a writings, documents of what his beliefs were. And he come down to the, the whole uh, setting of predestination is, is that God just chooses whether you're going to go to heaven or whether you're going to go to hell. And you don't have any choice in the matter. Well, that didn't go down with everybody. A lot of people did. There's a lot of groups that may still believe that. And... So that word predestination becomes a very general, big subject. And it all comes out of this word that's used. And predestination is only used, I don't think I have in my notes, only used just a, four or five times. It's not used very often. But that word, from what I can understand, is it's just to decide beforehand or to determine. And that whole thing of predestination, I look at this and I say well they took it to mean where your final destination is going to be but if you look at what the next phrase is that brings a whole different light so what does it say for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son I'm not sure where they get the eternal destination out of that so when you think about 
determined beforehand. God wanted people to be conformed to His image. All well, since the fall of uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, just all the things that took place. God want, wanted people to be conformed to His image. Now, who that might be, that's where you get into the question. But to look at it straight from Scripture here, it says, He did predestinate, or He determined, that people should be conformed to the image of His Son. And the reason for that is the last phrase, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And now before I get to the last part of that verse, I back up. Conformed to the image of His Son. There's quite a bit in that. And maybe me thinking through this sermon a lot more and studying it, having in my mind maybe a little more than what you do, it just fits in through the whole, the whole realm of eternity, like the beginning to the end and all the events that God has, of how we eventually will be conformed to the image of His Son. The last phrase says that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. I don't understand all this, but the firstborn in a Jewish culture was one of excellence or like like they did a lot with the firstborn. There's a lot of meaning, a lot of things, and I, I just skim read, try to get a little idea, and I thought, wow, that there's especially in a Jewish how, how they what they did. And we know a firstborn being some critical things or crucial things in events in Scripture. But in this case, it would be more of that he, I take that to be Christ, might be the firstborn among many brethren. And I see that in uh, the way his position is in relation to the church. Jesus Christ being the firstborn among the brethren, the firstborn among the church. Like I say, the, the, and the firstborn had special rights and, and privileges. There, there's a lot to do with that. Um, but anyway, that gives me a, a simple face value of what that verse means. Might not answer questions, but that is the goal and what, what uh, Paul was writing here in Romans of what he thinks God wants for us as people. So verse 30 Moreover, whom he did predestinate. <clears throat> and I take the word moreover, somewhat of a continuation of thoughts going on there. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he called, and whom he called he also justified, and whom he justified he also glorified. Just maybe shorten it up there. So let's look at these words. So you have predestinate. It's the exact same word as the other one, used in the <clears throat> same meaning. And I wrote down here, the determining of God to have His created human beings to be with Him in eternity. And it kind of backs up and is a little more general, maybe doesn't give quite such an idea. But when you think about God predestinating people, if you, if you kind of look at it that way, God wants the people that He created to be restored back so that they can be with Him in eternity. Like He determined to do that. To get us back to where we were supposed to be. That's some of my de definition of it. The determining of God. Like God wanted to do this. And he, it's hard to grasp your mind how God can think and do. We just, we just fall short. But that idea of 
having his, the people he created to be with him in eternity. Just that whole mix and that whole process is, is a little bit where I come. But uh, the next word in this is what them he also called. And this is where I read verse 28 because the, the word called is in there. And there's, in, um, in studying these words and what they mean, there, there is a little bit of difference between these two words. So my understanding in verse 30 the word called is used the same way that Jesus called his disciples. But the word called in verse 28 where it says, who are the called, has a little bit different. I, I don't understand it totally, but it almost has more of those who um, are given an invitation and maybe something aware. But the, the it could be just you know hard to know between the two, but in verse 30, all the times it used, if you, you know, looking at all that, the other times that that word's used in Scripture, it's always a verbal, uh, audible calling when you call somebody. And I take that as what this means in verse 30 of Jesus calling you. It doesn't quite happen in audible voice, but in your spirit and in your mind, you can hear God asking you to do things. And it's, like I say, a general sense of how Jesus would have called his disciples we just don't have that quite today when Jesus uh, Jesus is not among us in order to call us, but he does call us today. The next one is justified, and as we saw earlier about justification, maybe somewhat in Romans or you, you knowing of it, it's it has to do with declaring righteous. The, the, um, our faith in the crucified and the risen Christ, as we think of communion, being justified. And... This includes like, basically everything with salvation, how you can be restored back to God and how he wants you to be growing. And there's a word they use as sanctification. That's not in this verse, but that would be part of it. But the last word used in this verse is glorified. And glorified could be kind of caught between the two of what you are now, but probably mostly of how you are going to change from your earthly body that you're in now to a new body, a spiritual body. Don't know how all that'll be. It kind of ends there. There's list out in uh, one of the, in Corinthians somewhere about um, the corruptible changing to incorruptible and the, the immortal or the mortal to immortal. A bunch of uh, some illustrations there. But there's going to be a changing, and that that is. The end of the end of the word verse, and that's kind of the end of the process in studying. And so that you about have to take it as heaven. That is where we'll be glorified, and that is sort of the the end of the process as we go down through here. Now, when you take the Calvinistic teaching of predestination, there's a few things I either thought of or as I was reading, just kind of made a mental note. For you, if you run into somebody that would say you're either predestinated to heaven or to hell. I, I do have a few things here that you could uh, give them. And it's not necessarily my ideas. It's, it's just kind of in general. It's all in scripture. Let me read what I have here. If God picks or chooses those that are going to heaven, does this mean that he is also picking or choosing the ones that are going to hell? 
and and in that whole thing of predestination there was a term called double predestination I, I don't think I had heard of it before but it also included that if God says who's going to heaven it's also going to be who's going to hell and that I'm not quite sure about but if God is picking for sure those that are going to heaven what are you going to tell somebody when that's what they believe? God picked me, I'm going to heaven, end the story. What are you going to tell that person? Somewhat new for me. I don't know either what I would share or tell someone, but here's some things as general principles to remember. <clears throat> Matthew 18:11. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. And Jesus himself gives invitation and says, Come, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. I will give you peace. We see a choice starting to take place there. And if God, the next one, if God chooses your destination, say if He chooses those that go to heaven, then why is there the ministry of evangelism? We, we don't need preachers. We don't need explanation of how to get to heaven because it's already determined. It's, it's taken place already. God says, you go and you go. You, it's, it's all done. If God chooses destination, why is there a ministry of evangelism? Of, why are we given the Great Commission to go and to tell everybody? If they're already given their eternal destination. If they're already having that. If they're set in that. Why are we told to go preach and to share and to make disciples and to baptize the, the whole the great commission here why was paul a chosen vessel to bear the lord's name to the gentiles and to kings and even to the children of israel why would a god done that if he says we have everybody labeled out where they're going for eternity and then he says paul i need you to go preach all this it doesn't quite make sense. So all this uh, that I'm giving you it can be taken for what you can understand it, but I wanted to give you uh, another, just a, not necessarily a quote, but I came across it when I was studying that really put the, put the emphasis where it needs to be as you think about this. So it says, remember that it is not so much who is being predestinated? That's the big problem. It's, it's who. Who's going to heaven? Who's going to hell? Who, who, who? It's not so much that as, but more importantly, what are we being predestinated to? That made a little more sense to me. And to take the shift off of who is being predestinated to where is your destination? What are you predestined to? Now that brings up a whole lot of things of the area of choice. And as you know, there's a, a board here, and I thought it's never happened here. It hasn't really much of some interaction this way in a, in a sermon. And I've always appreciated some examples and illustrations. And I don't want to offend anybody here, but the little bit I take from you is a lot of you are, you learn by visual. You see it, then you know how to do it. And I thought... Oh, if I just tell you everything, you, you leave and you don't remember anything because you didn't see it. So I'm going to just attempt. This is 
just me putting it on the, from my mind to try to put on the board to help explain. This is not, uh, I didn't take this from anywhere. So this is just very preliminary, basic. Please do not go publish it and take it that this is the way it is. This is me trying to convey to you how it is. So if you have, if you have uh, predestination, and you take that and say, what's included in predestination, you could probably make a box and say, all right, here's predestination. So what about the rest of these things? And this all came from this verse that says in 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. So where do all those people go where they fit in? So uh, I started at the beginning, and I said, well, I'm not sure if when God calls you, are you already predestinated? Um, I don't know. This is my ideas why I'm just trying to present to you. So I make another box over here that kind of includes part of predestination because it may or may not. And you could take and put these things together. All the little details of this, you just have to be able to have faith in you. You're going to see through it a little bit and not to hold me to every last little thing here. So I put down here, these are the called. And if you had a little person here, that's you and I today. And we are predestinated. Like, God knows what all is going on. Even before we're born, He foreknew it before. And there we are. And like I say, I put it in here because that is part of predestination. It comes first in this verse. It says, moreover, whom He did predestinate. So you have those that He predestinated. It says, them He also called. So you, I added the called in there. And in this little box right here, I put choice. I don't know if you, you might not be able to see it in back there, but there is a choice there. Because down here, I drew an arrow that says, if you don't want to continue following God's way, you can go down here, and we're going to call this hell. There's eternal judgment coming for those that don't make a choice to continue following. So if you have somebody heading towards the way God would want, you would have, in this area of predestination, you would have those that He called. What's the next one? He justified. So you would have in here justification. It's the way of the cross, where you become saved. You understand what God wants you to do as a Christian. If you doubt that, and you're not sure what's going to happen, you can still go to hell. You can backslide. You can ignore the teachings. You can ignore what God did for you. And you can ignore the cross. And you can still go to hell. Now on the top here, I put another box. And there again, whether it includes it or not, but I'll just go like that for, for me trying to give it to you. What happens after you're justified? You are glorified. So I have a box here and we'll put glorification in here. And once again, I think you still have the choice of the matter. Because you have not been finally glorified as in reached the eternal destination that God has for you. With glorification, I write heaven. And the way I see it is once you are glorified eternally, 
there is a great barrier here that you will be unable, if you are in heaven, to go to hell. And if you are in hell, you will not be able to go to heaven. And so that kind of sets this stage of how predestination in all will fit. Because, as the way I see scripture, that is what can take place. So let's keep going a little bit to um, one more word that I said about, that we'll come back to, and that is the word foreknowledge. So this could look straight, simple, and easy. Okay, just pick that's the way it is, and we're, we got it. Let's go to that word foreknow. In the, in the, right in the way in the beginning, I said it's an easy word, you just know it before. Here's where you get into all kinds of problems. The foreknowledge of God in verse 29 can run us in psychological circles, and it will. There's no real answer. And let me just back up to foreknow means uh, to know ahead, to know before, I should say. And I think I was saying that because in eternity God can go either way. So to know before would be uh, before it happens. But in our minds, to know ahead would be like you, you know what's coming. And it could include some of both of that. But the word that you may have heard of is omniscience. And that is all-knowing, a characteristic of God. Omni, meaning all. And for those of you in school, science. Anybody know what, science, what the word science means? I wasn't sure either, but it means knowledge. General uh, General idea, it's knowledge in, in lots of different things, how you know. So that gives us all knowledge. God is all-knowing. We've been told that and taught that. I will give you one little fact of just, just science. I happen to have a, um, a Snapple drink there, and it has facts under the cap, and I looked at that, and it said that in one, now catch this because it's a little hard, but this is who God is, in a cubic mile, cubic mile, a mile cubed a cubic mile of fog is is made up of less than a gallon of water now i can't comprehend that when they say one gallon can be made into a cubic mile of fog somebody could double check that i do not know but i do know that there is way too many facts that we don't understand of who god is and what he does and there's lots of verses about god's omniscience there's um in psalms we have he looks down from heaven, and he beholds all the son of, sons of men. Uh, he considers their works. In Psalm 139, he says, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. It's like, how can God understand that? <clears throat> and it says, uh, Psalm 147:5, Great is our Lord, and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Might touch on that a little bit later. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Um, just skimming down through here. Isaiah 40.14, um, with whom took he counsel? Or who instructed the Lord? Who taught him in the path of judgment? And how does, uh, who showed him all these things of understanding? It's, it's no, it's, it's just God. He knows these things. And some in the New Testament, Acts 15, 18, and 
not quite sure on the context, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. 1 John 3.20, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Neither is there any creature, oh, Hebrews 4.13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So here is the, here is the dilemma yet, and this is where I fall short and I can't give you like Mike would in the classroom, that 2 plus 2 equals 4, and that's like the end of it. Here's the question. If God knows everything, He should know who's going to be in heaven and who's going to be in hell. You have to stop and really think about that because this confuses us and gets us all mixed up. So we just went through this procedure here and we come back to God's foreknowledge. says God knows everything, He's going to know who's in heaven and who's in hell. So in some ways, I'm going against what I just told you. How do you, how do you get your mind around this? I can't. The only thing that there is is that there's this avenue of choice. And if God knows all the choices that we're going to make, is even hard to know. So... If God knows who's going to be in heaven, does that mean it's already determined who will be there and who will not be there? Or how can God know what your choices in life will be since we're allowed to choose? And I, and I come across, and this is kind of the whole, if I can give you anything, there was a little phrase, and I might be taking it a little bit plenty far, but I read these verses about God's knowledge. So God, or do you believe that God knows all the actual things that happen. And the word actual meaning, in your mind, you can see what's going to take place. You know that this and this and this, like the actual uh, reality, the physical things, like you can tell them how. But do you believe that God knows the possible things that could happen? And that was the word given in the, uh, one of the Bible dictionaries about under the omnis omniscience of God. That he knows all the possible things. Do you realize the endless possibilities that would exist? Just a little example. Does God know what I will eat for lunch today? I just had to pick something just to start. Y yes, God knows what I'm going to eat for lunch. You have to say that, don't you? God knows what you're going to eat for lunch. So if he knows what I'm going to eat for lunch, do I still have a choice in it? So he said I'm going to eat, I don't know what I'm at, lasagna maybe, I think. So he said, oh, I, do, I foreknow that. See, that, that would be a little bit of foreknowledge there of, of what's going ahead. But anyway, that's a sidetrack. So if, if I have a choice, what I'm going to, if God knows what I'm going to eat, do I still have a choice in it? That runs into mental problems. And I wanted to take that and remove it. And when I read this phrase about his knowledge contains the possible choices of what I'm going to eat for lunch, that helped me understand. And it brought me to a sense of awe and reverence, really, because if you think about all the possibilities of things I could eat for lunch, all of them, all the possibilities, God knows all those possibilities. And suddenly I 
just become a little bit as the, as the Bible dictionary had it about it brings us to an awe and a reverence of who God is and in studying it was sort of that way of push your chair back and just contemplate this and think about it of who God really is and when you think about he would know all the possibilities of what I would eat for lunch for me one meal one person there's seven billion people in the world times three meals a day if they all have three meals a day times how many foods there would be available to eat the only thing I could come up with is, is God needs to be put up way higher than what our mind tends to do sometimes God is God he knows it all and we dare not put our reasoning and choices too close to God there must be a distance and a separation between us and God I just I write down we come up short on our comprehension of the omniscience of God and it needs to be that way because what I see that mental conflict of how to figure things out that's you trying to get too close to understanding God and that makes a problem so I wanted to give you there's, there's still no answer for this and I don't have any answer except to try to just give you a little uh, springboard for your own thoughts again so you have you have a man or a person and there can be let's say five things he's allowed to going to have for lunch number one number two number three number four number five and in our mind we go one we're going to eat lasagna for lunch so God said we said, you get stuck on that, that that's all there is. It's just what my mind's thinking, and God has to match. I don't know if I put it in here, but I don't know if I did. I, I was trying to write out how, instead of comprehending, taking what we think and fitting it into how God does, I'm going to get mixed up. But we need to just take our mind and lower it and put it in the rightful place and let God's mind be there. So, and, and God's mind would be, I know all your options. You could have this, you could have this, you could have this, you could have this. And he says, I know all of your options. And I turn around and I know what you're going to eat for lunch because I have all those options covered. I know it all. I know what you're going to eat for lunch. I know it's still a little bit of a miss in there because he doesn't know for sure that I'm going to pick lasagna or pick something else. But he still gives us a choice. And that's what I run up against and I say, God, I don't understand how you fit this in, but I recognize that you know all things and you provide, you give me a choice. And it's I can choose one. And yet, the, whatever I choose, God already would know it. That's all I can come up with for you. You let your, you and God in your mind can go wherever you God takes you. 
go ahead. That, I think, is called relationship with God. Just don't get hung up on something. Try to see farther, see past what, what God would have for us. Here it says, instead of God's knowledge being limited to our choice, this is what I was looking for before, instead of God's knowledge being squished down to say, oh, He has to know exactly what my choice is, as in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, all of our possible choices are part of God's knowledge. Like it's all there already. And I can say this just brings us to a, for me, a reverence and awe of who God is and even this simple verse I have down here of 2 Peter 3.8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. I think you could try and try and try to comprehend that, and you never will. We were not created to understand that. And I kind of think there's some things that we are maybe going out of place when we try to figure out, because God says, I'm God. I created you. I know everything about you. Do what I created you to do. We were not made to comprehend this. We were placed in the realm of time for one day, a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. And I come down to we need to place God on the highest place. That's his name, that's who he is. And place ourselves humbly where he wants us. Just a couple things yet in closing. Read Romans 11, 33 to 36. Just a couple pages. Just some of my concluding thoughts of what takes place here. And I, I didn't know what to write down. I thought, well, this will be easy just to find it in Scripture and read it. It just says it so much better. So if you can understand all my... just. I don't know what you call it, my preaching, I guess, whatever I tried to describe here. Just look at Romans 11, 33 to 36, and just think about who God is and who you are and what God wants. Romans 11, 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. And when all else fails, come back to that place that says, Right there at the end. To whom be glory forever. Amen. That is who God is, and that's who we serve. So let's just kneel in prayer, reverent prayer of who God is at this time as we conclude the service, that we could just recognize and understand God. Shall we kneel?